All right, here we are. Welcome to another episode of the Sore Losers Show. I'm Damo Kennedy. This is my wonderful track suited up uh, co-host, Andreas Tim. And today we are both, we're both, right? Really stoked to say we've got a very special uh, guest on the show. He's a fixture in Australian skateboarding. A jack of all trades, if you will, within the skateboard industry, Mr. Tom Flaherty. VB Tom, uh, what else? Flaz. Flaz. Just Flaz. Flaz. The world knows him as Flaz. Welcome, Flaz. How are you, mate? I'm good. Thanks, Damo. And uh, g'day, Andreas. Nice to see you, mate. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Love you, Flaz. Yeah, look, no worries. It's it's absolutely our pleasure. Um, stoked to have you here. Glad to have a conversation with you in the in the week or so prior to this, and you know, catch up a little bit and see how you're going. And um, I I think we just started off with the way I've started it off with most people is how did you start skateboarding? How did you find skateboarding? How did it find you? Well, I'm. Um... And where, where were you at the time? Well, you know, I was born in uh, Werribee in Victoria and raised in Hoppers Crossing, but um, I was out at a farm at my grandparents one Christmas in, uh, I think it was 1977, Christmas 97, 77, sorry. And um, me and my brother, we're about a year apart and I've got a younger cousin who's a year younger than him and my cousin got a plastic skateboard and me and my brother got one to share. And, um, that was on the farm. So I was probably like, uh, six or seven years, six or yeah, probably six years old at the time. And, um, that was just something that we used as a toy. You know, it was, um, you know, didn't really understand what the skateboard was then, I guess. And we just belly boarded and knee boarded, you know, did whatever we could, um, and it was something that was put in the closet. And then when we were going to go visit the cousin, he had a footpath at his place. So I was like, oh, let's take the skateboard and play on that, you know. And so that, you know, went on for a little while. And then um, I do clearly remember watching Charlie's Angels and seeing um, Stacey Peralta on the Charlie's Angels show. And I think Wonder Woman uh, had a skateboard. It just... Seeing those things on television made me go, wow, what's that? You know, I want to try that. And then, um, but it was, I, I know, uh, leading into Christmas 1985, I was working with my dad, um, saving up all the money I had. And I um, I bought myself a, a Veriflex. And, um, you know, three days before Christmas, I got that Veriflex and uh, I skated it every day, you know, like, that on and didn't even care what came for Christmas that year because all I cared about was riding that skateboard. Yeah. Uh, was it a Losey model by any chance? No, no, no. It was a very basic uh, Veriflex splash. I remember that board. So how did you know about Veriflex and stuff when you were like growing up on a farm? You know, like how, how did that go for you? Because you said like you grew up on a farm and like, so how, how, how were you exposed to skateboarding? No, 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 no. We were at... We were at when we got those first skateboards, but um, I grew I grew up in the suburbs of of Werribee, place called Hoppers Crossing. Okay, so like you just were out like at Christmas, you know, like out with the family, 
and that's when you got your skateboards. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's when I got the first plastic board, and like that was my introduction to like what is this thing, you know? And uh, but um, but when I got serious about wanting to ride a skateboard, was '85, and um, and it was in a it was in a bicycle shop, and at that stage, my uncle was really big on uh, long distance, you know, road racing and things like that, and he was trying to get me and my brother into riding our bikes and. I remember being in the bicycle shop with him one day and seeing skateboards on the wall. I was like, I want one of them. <laughs> and all over from there, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. I only spent the next two years just riding in the driveway and, you know, in my own little world, not realizing that there was a, a big wide world of skateboarding out there. You know? So when did you, when did you discover that? When did you, um, you know, come across other like-minded people, like people who influenced you um, in those early years and, and so on. And and who did you start skating with? So at first it was just me and my brother for a little while, but then there was other kids in the area that obviously skated. And at high school, I got to meet them and um, we ended up getting a local a public ramp built in the area. And, um, but it seemed like a lot of the kids that were already skating at that time just disappeared. And it was like, I don't know, I was like the only one at the ramp. But then there was a lot of young kids that started coming up, you know. So people my own age just disappeared and then other kids came into it. So, I, was, I you know, there's a, a few local kids um, skating at the ramp. Probably the main one that's still skated for a long time with me is Lincoln Scott. I used to skate with Lincoln a fair bit back in the day and um from there we actually started to travel and um you know skate different areas and hook up with different people so but early on um when i learned about all the you know the big wide world of skateboarding through magazines and stuff i definitely looked up to guys like johnny mcgrath and sack and um jason ellis i loved jason's style uh gary valentine dom kekich dom actually did the opening demo at the Werribee ramp. And, uh, you know, that was, so he, yeah, he was a huge influence, I guess, you know, being a, a younger kid than myself. And it's like, wow, I've got a lot to work on to get as good as him. You know? Was he on, uh, was he already on PAL after that, the, I think it was the 89 demo? Or it, it was about Christmas 88 when the ramp in Werribee was opened and he was riding Tony Hawk board then. So, I'm pretty sure he was on that um, on that power flow from JHS by then. Yeah. 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 Cool. Don Don was always in my mind as far as looking at um, skateboarding, like vertical skateboarding. I I didn't really relate to that because I didn't have access to vertical ramps. So, but Dom in my mind just stood out like just such a little kid and just a powerhouse and the the amount of tricks he had back then and yeah. Um, just always amazed me, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was very talented from young age, right? Like, he was very... Yeah, I think he was, like, 11 years old or something like that when when um, he started getting hooked up by JHS. And, yeah, he was spinning fives and stuff like that, like, which is quite normal for kids these days. Um, I wonder what, what you think about, like, the progression of skateboarding in that way, like... 
Dom was a standout kind of kid, kind of like Blake Convy was a standout kind of kid, you know, yeah. of that age. And I, I wonder, you know, you look at skateboarding now and what you think of how far it's come um, as far as the progression of very young skateboarders able to make things that were unthinkable, you know, 20, 30 years ago. It's that collective consciousness, isn't it? I feel like we're, I mean, once the barriers are broken down, that next generation just knows and believes they can do it, you know? Like for us at the time, the, the McTwist was like a, a trick that we had to work hard at and it was unattainable, really. And for Dom as a little kid to do it back then, that's what made Dom so special, I guess, you know, that he he just had the knack, you know? Like I think he was the second person in the world to ever land the 720. Wow. I remember seeing him at Paran do three in a row, like 720, Ed Afeki, 720, Ed Afeki, 720, you know? Sick. <laughs> you, know, we, you know, we see it with the 900, right? You know, everyone was battling for 10 or 12 years to try and land that trick. When, when Tony finally made it, it didn't take long for, you know, Giorgio to land one and then... Sandro landed one less than 12 hours later, you know, and and then from then it's it kids learn to spin fives. It's like, well, okay, now I'm going for a, a 900, you know, like. And that yeah. was before the exposure, right? Before all that YouTube, before everything, now everything is on tap. You like look at this 24-7. If you want to see one in slow motion, you can, you can pick the angle. Exactly, yeah. You can pick, pick multiple angles and look at them. Back then, that was not really obtainable. You know, you sometimes seen like uh, something in a magazine and that was often very off in terms of like a trick tip or something, you know, <laughs> like sometimes those pictures, they were just whatever they are like kept going, right? Like whatever. It's pretty funny, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, you're dead right, Andreas. Like it's, I mean, so many tricks that I tried to learn and I had to, you know, look at magazine pictures and try and work out in my head how they got into that position, you know? It's just the videos changed everything. Yeah, like the, those early um, Bones Brigade videos, like Bones Brigade video show, I think the first one I actually watched was Future Primitive um, and then went back to watch Bones Brigade video show. But I think... The standout was was Lance, right, from from those videos and making everything seem so so. People have said it before a hundred times, making things look accessible, um, like and as Lance called it, just goofing around, you know. All terrain, all terrain, slappy, backyard pool, bird ramp, everything. Yeah, rooftop, everything. Agreed. For me, I didn't think of myself as a a vert skater or a street skater or a mini ramp skater or anything like that back then, I just rode a skateboard. So, you know, Lance definitely had, that, um, you know, it just came across that he was having so much fun doing what he was doing, you know. That's that's ultimately what we're looking for when we ride a skateboard, isn't it? You know, it's the freedom to have fun. And going back to what, what I think Lance said it in the, um, in the Bones Brigade, autobiography and he says like it's it's staying as immature as possible for as long as possible kind of thing <laughs> you know and i yeah. i think 
for myself, that's what I'm chasing. I know this guy is. He's he's actually regressing. <laughs> like William Bibbs. <laughs> yeah. From the dress code, definitely. Yeah, he'll be in the womb by next week. <laughs> so speaking of the okay here, here's the thing i really remember and this is how i remember meeting you for the first time was you were vb man product placement um you were vb man and i was wondering how 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 the fuck did that come about like how did you go from you know like i'm just skating to just wearing full vb garb Drinking VB all the time. And sub question: Did you actually were you sponsored by Carlton for that? Like sponsored by VB properly, or was that just your thing? All right. So how that happened and how it started was uh, for my twenty first birthday. My brother gave me a VB t shirt, and my uncle gave me a VB hat and VB socks. And it just so happened that next weekend, the next weekend. We're having a, a comp and at that, like, so 21, so was, this is 94. Um, I was trying to enter as many comps as I could, get myself out there, skate as much as possible. And um, it was a street comp or whatever. And so I was like, yeah, I was going to dress up in all my VB gear and go skate the comp. And I remember the guy in the mic just like ah oh, it's the vb dude you know we got tom back for another room <laughs> and i was like you know what everyone's looking for an angle to stand out you know and so i think i found my niche <laughs> um you know we you know beer drinking is such a a big thing in the australian culture and it was just something that i sort of latched on to and um and look, you know, admittedly, I didn't mind a VB back then. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I wore the gear. And um, and it just became a thing where friends and family would buy me VB stuff. Like, oh, Tom's birthday's coming up. What do we get him? I will get him a VB shirt. <laughs> so it, it became my wardrobe. And um, then it was probably... So did suck. <laughs> And then later on, <laughs> like just knowing you're only going to get VB stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for me to find out all the cool different shirts they found, you know. Um, but um, I guess it was my way of standing out in the skateboard crowd for a little while, you know. And um, but I ended up working for Sue Kirk at the Melbourne show. Um, they built a ramp. And she got me to help uh, pull the ramp down and put it back up for demos and things like that. And, and be, you know, I just got involved as much as I could because I had, had this portable vert ramp. And so I'd be skating there all the time. And so she was like, what's the deal with you and CUB? And I'm like, what do you mean? Was, well, everyone knows you as the VP, man. You're always wearing it when you're skating. Like, what did, what did they give you? And I said, they don't give me nothing. I don't even know if they know I exist. And so Sue's like, oh, let me sing about that. And so she was obviously, through the Melbourne showgrounds, she was um, in contact with the you know, marketing department of CUB. And um, so she wrote a letter to them, and they um, they actually said to me to submit 
any sort of magazine coverage and stuff that I'd had and I sent it through and um and in a massive box showed up at my house. Um so yeah, I had uh and then it was like that box was that's full of stuff. I had enough gear for a whole year. No worries. And um and then um the next year, like almost to the day, another box rocked up the year after. And um I thought this is damn this is pretty cool. I must be, you know, right into this. And so I wrote them a letter asking if they could, you know, send me some travel money. And then they wrote me a letter back saying, we love what you do. We we love, you know, the imagery of who you are and what you stand for and whatever in skateboarding. But we cannot be seen to be officially sponsoring someone that is deemed a youth market. And uh, and then the boxes stopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So, so they're, they're sending you stuff, but they're they're in denial that they're actually sending you stuff. Don't tell anybody. Like, oh, like, oh, it's just yeah, under the table. So we love you. We're happy to send you some clothes. Don't ask for anything else. <laughs> yeah. Just don't mention it to anybody. Yeah, yeah. The, the first time I seen your skate, I was so mind blown, you know, like fully as BB Tom, you know, like that's how I've been introduced to you, like in like, in like I think it would have been maybe the second Bolorama potentially or something when you guys came up from Victoria, like it, yeah, the second one, the first one, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's when I like seen seen you for the first time and potentially met you back then. I think it was. Was it the one we went down to the full pipe after with the vans, with the checkout, like, uh, combi? Like a checkout combi uh, VW? Like, was it that year or the year after, maybe? That was that was a few years in. Yeah. Yeah, like... That so was 2007, like... Andreas, because uh, Daniel Cardoni was here, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's, 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 that's right. I think he was down there as well, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and I look, I I I remember the MC like was basically saying, yeah, this is VB tour, is Bon Victoria, <laughs> basically give it the rundown, and I'm like, I'm like mind blown. I come from Germany, I'm like, oh. did you, did you, the, yeah, on in Australia, and then you know, like there was like you were like Trodo Australian on a skateboard <laughs> when I first came to Australia. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Did, did you ever think about corrupting it and maybe like instead of bitter under here, like like flaz or something like Victoria flaz and and changing that to an F? That must have been done. Um, I know. I remember Wade. Yeah, actually, Wade Burkett had had the WB as a graphic on. I think it was on Time. Right. Um, yeah. His his graphic was was the VB, but it was WB. Yeah, yeah. Wade Burkett. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think back then skateboarding and beer, even now go hand in hand. Like, um, we've got VB over here. They've got, they've got Paps Blue Ribbon in, in the States, you know. <laughs> Fireball is sponsoring skateboarders. That's like reality. Like new, that's new toner. That's uh, true. Sponsoring skateboard, skateboard events. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's just sort of what it is now. Now it's actually it's been like that in Europe, for example, for a long time. Like that, yeah, yeah. Bicester and all other things sponsored events for yeah. like a long time. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you is about 
Okay, so we're coming on we're coming on uh twenty years this year, is it, that you built uh Ring of Fire um in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh that 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 pay to play skate park at the um the amusement center I want to call it but it's like it's it's pinball machines and it's it's crazy if nobody's ever gone there first of all is I'll just share my experience walking in there a couple of years ago I walk into this place and it's the first time I've ever been there and there's like discarded broken pinball machines like just cluttering part of this room. And you walk up to this dodgy counter and you can see like go-karts and like just all sorts of chaos going on. Like just danger everywhere. Like like smash screens on on video games and stuff. And I walk up to the guy and he's behind the counter and I'm like, we're here to skate the park. And I was with, with P-Rad at the time. We're here to skate the park. And he's like... <laughs> I could tell. He wanted nothing to do with it. He basically, he didn't even walk us up there. It's upstairs, like I think three or two levels upstairs is the first part of it. And then, yeah, you go up another level. That's what, so, that's what I found most amazing. So, that it was like, all, all he does is unlock the door and go, there you go. <laughs> Just, and we're the only ones there. Like it was in quite a bad state. But yeah, that le- leads me to... That's just the setup for for what Ring of Fire is like. So tell me about building that. How did that come about? Like, did they approach you? Did you approach them? Or what's the story? So, um, so yeah, that 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 they they approached me. Um, the people that run that go kart center are sort of friends of the family, and um, my brother uh, plays a lot of inline and ice hockey. And um, and their oldest son was into ice hockey and stuff as well. And so, I'd played hockey with Dan and, and Daniel True, and his name was Daniel. Uh, rang me up one day and said, "Look, I've got this um space at the go kart center that's not being used. I want to do something skate. You know, I want to build some skate ramps and stuff up there." And so, me and my cousin Dingo went up there, and we met up with Dan and. We had a look around the space and he sort of said, what do you think? And I said, look, I really like, I, I, I want to build a bowl. I've got an idea for a bowl that I'd love to build. Um, you know, if you're willing to fund it, I'll build it for you because I want to do it, you know? And he's like, yeah, cool. And so, yeah, that's sort of how it all happened. And um, I got all my mates involved and uh, I was there pretty much every night after work doing two or three hours prep for throughout the week so that on the weekends when when all my mates came we had i had work ready for them to do and um i think it took us nearly four months to smash that out and um yeah build that bowl the the whole park or just the bowl just the bowl the bowl came first yeah right um we built the bowl first and then the following year was the the world cup oh yeah and um, and then once we, I worked on the World Cup with um, uh, Chad Ford and Steve Gourlay, mm-hmm. and um, there was a crew of us. Uh, Cons was in there with me, and a few other guys from Sydney, and um, we um, 
we built all the ramps in a warehouse in Port Melbourne for the World Cup at uh, Rod Laver Arena. And after a couple of years of using those wooden ramps, they uh, ended up hiring ARD ramps to use for the World Cup. And so those wooden ramps were not being used anymore. And um, I remember Steve Gourlay rang me and said, Flaz, come and grab what you want if you want to you know, use anything at the Ring of Fire. And so, yeah, the... Whatever we built downstairs, that all came from all the old ramps from the World Cup, yeah. And so you you mentioned World Cup. How many how many ramps did you build for World Cup? Was it like two years in a row or three years in a row? I'm trying to remember. I can't I think it might have been three years in a row we used that wooden course and um the first year was the initial build. We went hard and then the next two years, it was more we'd get in there and we'd remodel it and just, you know, use a lot of the components but shuffle it around and, and build new things. So it wasn't – the build wasn't as intense for the next two years. But um, And then after two years of, you know, moving that stuff in and out and putting it in storage again and it just – you could tell it was wearing out because they were all wooden frames and stuff like that, so – I guess they decided to move on and go with the Shanos's uh, ARD ramps, and at the time, after that, I guess it it happens like that a bit, though. But um, so that leads me into after that. So that's twenty years ago, and then the park, yeah, yeah, in Geelong. Um, that was all you, right? Like you did all the the construction there. I love that ramp. Yeah, me, Reese, and uh, Dean. Um... Flaz, do you mean Dean Brooks? Yeah, that's it. Brooksy, yeah. Me, Reese, and Dean Brooks, we built the park together. Yeah. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah, Dean. But anyway, um, what happened there was we, me, Jimmy from Torquay, Jimmy... Lareco and Trevor and Shawnee and I think Haswell were all looking. Uh, Jimmy had proposed, like, let's get a warehouse and build a vert ramp somewhere, you know. And um, then Trevor met this couple that were looking at building an indoor skate park. So we ended up teaming up with them and um, we all got together and we sussed out, found found a building and, um, yeah, Jimmy paid for the vert ramp. And um, I was working on that vert ramp every night with Jimmy and then working during the day with Reese and Dean uh, building the whole park. So, yeah, that went on for the build was nearly, I think, five to six months, I think, to fully complete. And, um, but yeah, that was probably one of my uh, proudest things to build that, that vert ramp there at the park. Oh. Give us some dimensions. Dimensions. It's huge. Like for people that don't know, you know, it's like it's it's like really wide, right? Good point. Yeah, well, yeah. It's 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 ninety feet wide in total. Um, it's a an eleven foot tranny with two foot of vert. Um, what else we got there? We've got so we've got a fifteen foot. Offset quarter pipe that's twenty feet wide, set on a seven degree angle. Uh, opposite that, 
There is a 15 degree elbow. Um, That's my spot. And then in the other corner, in the other corner, it's got a massive um, flat bank that goes to 16 foot high with some pool coping on the top, like a Jersey barrow. Um, and then opposite that, there's a kicker ramp that's a 11 foot high, 10 foot, 21 foot of vert, and it's built on a can't remember the, the actual angle, but it's it's a steep angle that shoots you onto the ramp when you it's like the ramp's built on a corkscrew, so when you ride up it, it shoots you back onto the main ramp. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. that's that. Yeah, not my style. Not my style. I I like car parks and. <laughs> Car parks and curbs, mate. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Skate swell, you know. Like I love it. I'd go there and uh, and probably just look at it, you know, take some photos because it'd be a nice aesthetic. Yeah, for the gram, just photos for the gram, you know. Um, but so you you mentioned that 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 Trev was involved in that, which leads me into into because of. Thief Trucks, basically. You roll within Thief Trucks. Was that kind of coming about at the same time? And for people that don't know, if you could explain how Thief Trucks came about and what your what your role was within it. Well, what I understand is Trev was riding for um, Armadillo and they were uh, looking at getting more involved within skate stuff rather than just doing... Um, because Armadillo, I think, was like wallets, belts, that sort of stuff. And um, the the family that were involved with Armadillo had a background in titanium golf clubs. And so that's sort of how the whole thieve truck thing came into it. And Trev got involved with them. And, um, yeah, so when the park opened up, we had a – Trev have an, had an office around the back of the park and um, we – he eventually sort of, after the park was built, Trav offered me a bit of a position there, helping out uh, in the warehouse, pack boxes and stuff and um, work on some videos. Um, you know, got my background with, you know, FSBS and things like that. I edited videos, escape videos and stuff before. So got in there and worked with him on, um, you know, just doing little clips for Instagram and stuff like that. And, um, laying out ads and, you know, had a crack at trying to do, do sales, which was not my gig at all. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just helping out at Thieve Trucks with, you know, whatever I could, yeah. And um, Trev gave me a position of being an Australian team manager for a while there and um, I sort of tried my best to uh, look after the talent that I thought, you know, especially on the vert side of things. Steve McGuinness looked after more the street side of things where I was more looking up the vert side of it. And, um, yeah, you know, we had Lukey Russell, Jacob Robinson, uh, Izzy Mutu. Um, you know, I, there was a whole bunch of people that we had writing for Thief. Yeah, yeah I, I remember um, there, was a, there was a bit of controversy. And Thief, thief Trucks... The titanium aspect versus pool coping. Yeah. Um, did anybody actually like say to you like mm, not good or just because of the hardness of the trucks and 
I, I personally never heard anything. No one ever spoke to me about that at all. But I have heard that it was an issue for some people. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually Grosso brought it up um, to saying that the. I, I'm not entirely sure. I can't say that 100%, I should say. Jimmy skated them in Bondi regularly and stuff. And yeah, there's like, it, they, they definitely behave differently. There's sparks coming off them and stuff, and it smelled like <laughs> being full on. <laughs> yeah. It smells like a car wreck. It's like, yeah, it's like exciting. It also sounded a lot different. Well, Jimmy makes everything work, so like you know, I don't really, I don't know, I can't judge that personally, but I know they were like, well, it's it's exciting to watch, you know, it's like something's going on. Yeah, and um, so at one stage, I remember, so Steve, internationally, you mentioned that that so you were the Australian team manager, so I guess you didn't have much to do with the international side of things, but at one stage, I remember everybody like Tony Hawk was on thieves if i'm not mistaken right for for a second there um yeah like it seemed like everybody was it rob larifus was larifus thieves as well i believe so yeah look we're gonna give tony a shout out tony gotta get a shout out because he's always going for the underdog companies you know he's always supporting everybody's gig you yeah. know, like he's kind of like that a little bit, you know, with the smaller wheel companies and everything. He doesn't need to do that. You know? Smaller wheel companies like Barnes and yeah. No, like uh, <laughs> certain searches and stuff, you know, it's like the type S's. Oh, okay. Yeah. The type S. You know, he always like changes around. He doesn't need to do that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, true. I think he's. he's... That's what I'm saying. Like he always kind of, which he doesn't need to write for. Thief. Everybody's like, you know, wants Tony Hawk, but he's still, he, he, he's, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Was was Trev stoked when Tony, um, Tony was riding? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think by what I understand, you know, like it was a big deal for them to get Tony on, and it was part of the reason why they were able to break into the international market the way they did. Um, I wasn't involved at that time, but. When that happened, that was huge for them. You know what I mean? Like they, you know, getting Tony on, you know, really uh, helped to nail down the distribution and things like that in the States and uh, really pushed the product worldwide. Yeah. 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 I, I can imagine it like that. Attaching the name Tony Hawk to anything is basically you, you guarantee to, to really launch it. You know, well, like yeah. if Tony endorses it, you know, it's usually like, you know. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And so, so what happened with Thief at the end of the day? Like, yeah. Is it still a Thief truck still operating or? Uh, still operating. Um, but all the people that I know that were involved are no longer there. Um, they've sort of basically sacked everybody and. I'm not 100% sure who is actually running it anymore. Yeah, right. So was it was it one of those things where the the company was sold to a larger, you know, well, it, larger company? It, it, yeah, there was always there was always there was always investors involved and that backed it and they they ultimately owned the product and um it was um yeah they just moved on, I guess. They decided they could do it themselves or something like that. I'm yeah, sure. right. Yeah. Um, 
which I mean, it's it's always strange when something like that happens. Like I've seen it really recently with with Dwindle uh, distribution and how Toy Machine basically collapsed, Madness collapsed, um, like all these companies collapsing when a larger a larger company like a, a sporting goods company um buys a skateboard distribution company or a small skate company thinking they they can build it big which is going to lead me into asking you about device skateboards um your company like how that came about is it still going is uh, like what's happening with device what happened with device where was that conceived and how did it come about well but it goes right back to, you know, when I was starting to skate and um, my background as a cabinet maker and being a woodworker and always being interested in how things are built and made. Um, always had this idea of making my own skateboards. You know, I want, I want to be able to try and work this out and do it. And I've, I've experimented, you know, in the early 90s, I was trying to make my own boards. And then uh, eventually I found a guy in Melbourne who was pressing decks and... Um, I, I got decks through him and just put my own graphics and stuff on them and ran it for a while. And then I got serious about it. I guess in 97, I actually registered the name and um, sort of, it was more very under, underground type company where I'd, I'd get probably say 50 decks at a time and I'd sell them to my friends and out the back of my car, really, you know, um, it was hard to get shops interested at that stage, I guess. In the late 90s, they were more worried about the bigger brands and things like that. And then I sort of ran it that way for quite a few years. And then um, the guy I used to get my decks from, he was closing up shop and uh, he ended up selling me his press. And um, so now I've got access to make my own boards and I started pressing my own decks for myself and friends and things like that. And through... Working with Trevor Thieve, I was able to, um, you know, see how the market worked and how the industry worked better and realize that, you know, I could actually probably have a go at, you know, really trying to push device as a, as a company. And, um, but it came very apparent to me very quickly that I couldn't actually produce the next here because the amount of money I had to spend on veneers and glue and my time to make the boards, it couldn't compete. You know, it couldn't compete with the overseas product. And so through, you know, with uh, Surplus and Steve and Trev at Surplus doing Thieve, they had other brands as well, and they were bringing in decks from China. And I was able to look at all the different type of boards they were getting in. And there was one manufacturer that I really liked, and I went with that. And um, I really pushed device for about uh i'd say five to six years um you know got got all hold of an old skate friend from werribee who was a, a tattoo artist to to do graphics for me and um i did some of my own graphics um i i created the luke foster board uh i i, I did the uh the, the jaffa board um uh what else did we do um yeah there was this, you know, a Wild West series and then a, a Wildcats, rock and roll Wildcats series. They were all tattoo art from my friend. And then um, we did a we did a model for Sack and that was drawn by a friend of Sack's. 
I, I was going to ask um, how Sax Graphic came about and um, and who drew it and who came up with the concept. Like the that was the we're talking about the Incredible Hulk model. Is yeah. that the one? Yeah. So he. Um, I know it was his idea because the Hulk. Yeah. 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 So apparently, Sax' favorite his favorite cartoon character as a kid was the Hulk, and uh, and you know, Sax got that. Uh, angry energy about him <laughs> like like a guy who's lost his cool like the whole uh and so uh yeah mike basil and um is an artist from adelaide skater artist he um he drew the graphic for him and uh yeah it was good it was good fun doing all that stuff you know sponsored guys like nick chris and uh luke russell um Rob Rob Lorifus was on the team at one stage. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. We did a board for Tuss. Um, yeah. You know, I'm just trying to think who else we there was there was a big team. I had a big team get there for a while, you know, and supporting those guys, you know, is my main passion really was to, you know, make sure that they had what they needed to help promote the product, you know, and um yeah, unfortunately, it got to a point where I was um, putting all of my hard-earned into device to make it work, and I wasn't seeing much in sales. And uh, it just got to a point where it wasn't even covering for itself. That's all I needed it to do. I just needed it to pay for itself. And so, but I was I was putting all of my money and effort into it, and nothing was coming in at all for a little while there. And this was probably uh, late, you know, 2017, early 2018, and I had to I had to write a letter to all the guys and just say that look, I've got to pull the plug on this because you know I need to I need to work on myself. Uh, it, it was one of those moments where I really realised that I'm I'm putting all this energy into this thing and it's not getting anywhere, and it's time for Tom to look after Tom kind of thing. So yeah. Was was that? Do you think were, were you being stocked in many Australian stores at that stage? Were you in like just basically back? Were stores backing you, um, like skate shops and stuff like that? So the Ge- Geelong skate shop would buy boards. Um, just trying to think who else we had. Uh, I think Russell Russell Grundy. He was stocking a few device boards. Um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, uh, Shed Nine. There was a yeah, there was a few shops that would buy boards every so often, but not a lot. Uh, OCD Shay at OCD. I built the ramp for them there as well. Um, but yeah, he he'd support me a little bit as well, and um, ended up setting up an online thing so people could buy them directly off me and just the sale. You know, I'd sell a few here and there. And, yeah, the big, the main times there was good sales is when I come out with a new graphic, and everyone'd be like, "Oh yeah, cool," and that would go pretty quick for a little while, and then the interest would just wane again, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I experienced a similar thing personally through. I started making curb wax, um, just as an experimental thing. I just wanted to make my own wax, basically. And then I thought, you know, like, let's see if 
if anybody's interested in it. It happened to be around COVID, so um, it kind of blew up. And th like, thank you to Ty Colling for for making that possible because when he was doing his as a rep going to stores, um, he was taking like a hundred blocks with him and selling them through stores and stuff. So I was really fortunate to have Ty on my side and also the perfect storm factor of COVID and nobody being able to um, get any products from the States, basically. Like stores were running out of everything. And I wanted to ask you if you were still in business at the beginning of COVID, because I think that if, if you were, that could have been like a real peak, you know? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I pulled the pin in 2018. Yeah, I, I, I miss the, the COVID uh, <laughs> rush that apparently was seen in the skate industry there for a little while, you know? It's weird though, right? That, that like people people who wouldn't ordinarily, as, as you've proven, um, necessarily support an Australian made or owned product. Um, when COVID came around and they couldn't get US products, they, they were all about it. So I can't imagine what would have happened to, to device as far as your sales went. Like, I imagine you wouldn't have been able to keep up with demand um, during COVID because I couldn't keep up with demand just making blocks of wax, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. People were panic buying products. Yeah, that's it. Like it, There was that sort of thing. You can't get something, so you need a backup. Even. It was the end of the world, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, so with with device folding, and you mentioned that that um, that you needed to look after Tom. Um, like once you decided you couldn't, it was non sustainable device. Um, what what happened there? Like um, as far as looking after yourself goes. Yeah. Well, at that time, I was um, heavily overweight, and. Um, just probably eating really poor diet. Um, early early 2019, I went on a hoon run with Andrew Curry. He was living with me at the time, and we did a hoon run down the southwest coast of Victoria into South Australia. And I remember getting home from that trip and not being able to, you know, being disappointed in myself for not skating more on that trip. And uh, I realised that I had to do something about my health. And um, so that led me on a journey to uh, try and discover what I could to, to lose the weight. And um, I sort of went down a path of different eating. And ultimately I came to the point where I realized that, you know, the best diet is, is fruit. And um, so for, for probably, you know, in 2020 is when I uh, actually got to the point where I, got down to 72 kilos uh in late 2020 so I, I lost i lost 48 kilos in about a year year and a half 18 months i did that once i did i my my when i did that it was called getting divorced but yeah um yeah please keep going <laughs> yeah no well i um yeah ultimately i've i've switched to um you know 
uh, basically a, a frugivore diet. And so my, my diet now consists of raw fruit and, uh, salads, um, mostly. So, but, uh, right now I'm actually six days into a juice fast. So I'm, uh, doing a cleanse right now. And, um, I've done a couple of these now, only short, I've only ever done six days before. So I'm actually hoping to push to 40 days this time. So I'm, um, going to try and break Whoa, so, yeah. 40 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, uh, I mean, what I understand is that, you know, we, we eat, you know, regular meals all day long, and this is part of um, how they the system is designed to, um, I don't know, keep your body busy, you know what I mean? And this is, you know, to get true health, we should actually fast every now and then you know what i mean give the body a break and let it give it time to to clean out so by having a juice fast um i'm i'm putting plenty of you know liquid through my body to hydrate it and um and it gives the organs a chance to to clean out yeah wow i d i did something pretty close to pretty close to that at sort of the beginning of this year um where i was um, a friend of mine sent me basically a, a three day, it was only a three day thing that I did. So it was a three day, or maybe it was a five day, either way, it was a short period of time and it was mostly juices with, with one meal, which was, um, vegetable based, you know, uh, legumes in there, that sort of stuff. Um. And at the end of that period, I, I was like feeling so good comparatively to how I was feeling at the end of the, the, the year prior at the end of last year. Um, and I found myself like taking on all sorts of things, just, just to back it up basically. So I started meditating. I started looking into, to Buddhism into like just just a bit of a, a spiritual growth and I, I was wondering if like it's a similar path um for yourself yeah definitely Damon like that's part of um I guess my spiritual awakening that I would say that I had in 2020 because I started making these changes in my diet in 2019 and that by doing that I, I saw changes within my body my you know, my consciousness cleared up, you know, like you clean up the, your diet, your your body functions better and therefore your brain works better. Um, and I, you know, through COVID, I just did a lot of um, YouTube diving and discovery of uh, spiritual information through uh, a few different people that have really opened my eyes to, you know, like you're saying, meditation is so important, you know, and, you know, spending time in nature. Like you know, today, you know, what I do every day is I walk, you know, around the property where I'm staying and I, um, you know, do alternate nostril breathing, uh, which is very important for balancing the energies within our bodies. And, um, you know, just being consciously mindful of your thoughts and um no you know it's yeah it's uh it's been a huge huge difference for me like i'm i feel so much more 
in control of my life. Um, you know, just having that awareness that um, there is conscious energy all around us, you know, that's um, part of the creation of this earth and um, we're all part of it. And, uh, you know, it all starts with your food, I feel, you know, like by, by cleaning up your diet is how you awaken spiritually. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, well, I definitely think... <clears throat> Captain Porkroll over here um, yeah, could rude. could could do with uh, this information, you know. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I I also found that where the next time I went skating, so it was like a couple of weeks. I think it was about ten days after New Year's, and I also at the same time I was like, I'm going to take a break from from booze. Um, so I wasn't drinking. I was eating really well. Um, I was meditating. I was doing all this stuff. And the next time I went skating, I just felt so much more involved in the moment. Um, like, it's really hard to describe, actually. It, it just felt really natural. Like, I wasn't fighting anything, you know? Like, it, I just connected with skateboarding all over again like like when i was a kid again you know um it felt like i was at 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 the first first time i went to bolarama all over again um and yeah i know absolutely what you're talking about which actually speaking of bolarama let's touch on this for a second so you judged bolarama the abc's uh what else did you judge? Oh, the 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 Soul Bowl at the Manly, yeah, yeah, the Manly Soul Bowl. So, how did you start judging? How how did you get thrown into into that basket? Because, like I said at the beginning, jack of all trades within skateboarding here. We've 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 gone like building skate parks. We've gone um, owning a skate company, being team manager, working in the editing. We've gone everywhere, and now. Yeah, sales, and and here's another layer of the onion of uh, the Flaz onion judging contest. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was younger, we actually I was part of a um, a group in Werribee. We called ourselves the Werribee Skateboard Committee, and we used to um, organize competitions because there was just nothing happening in skateboarding, and so we'd have to do it all ourselves. And um, I had a little bit of experience judging through that back in the day, but um, when I when Bolarama started, I purely was only wanting to be there as a spectator. I just you know I'd I'd met Sasha from the World Cups, um, you know he he'd been one of the head judges at World Cup, and so I had a relationship with him and Chad Ford, and I'd come up and if they had room to put me in the pub and give me accommodation that helped me out some way or another or sometimes I'd even just park the van and sleep in my car um you know set me tent up out the back of um the beach road hotel and sleep in that but um one year I was heading up to Sasha's room and I remember knocking on the door to you know just just to catch up with everyone in the evening you would been I think it was the Friday night before the comp. And so everyone's winding down from the big 
session that, you know, beforehand. And um, I knock on the door and Dave Duncan opens the door and all I remember Dave's going, there's your judge. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Anyway, so apparently what it was is Danny Van was asking Sasha if he could skate in Masters rather than judge because Daddy was meant to be judging. And so Sasha said, look, I don't care, but you've got to get someone to feel you. And so Danny ended up, you know, talking to me and asking me like, hey, are you cool with this, Flaz? You know, I'll, I'll sling you a bit of money and um, you, you can judge the Masters for me and then I'll come back and judge the rest of the day. But um, but I need classic Danny Van. Yeah, I need you to do masters so I can skate. And I was like, well, if I'm only doing masters, that's yeah, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll I'll help you out. You know. Anyway, I remember getting there nice and early, and uh, being there for the masters. They were the first ones up, and um, Danny, I think he may have even been in the first heat. I'm not sure. And I think by the time the Masters finals were on, or I'm not sure, or maybe the last heat of the Masters, I got a tug of my T-shirt up on the scaffold and I look around and there's Danny with a can in his hand. He's like, hey, Flaz, you reckon you're right to judge the whole day? <laughs> I mean, I, I ended up judging the whole day and, and Sasha said he was super stoked with what I did and, um, you know, he kept emailing me every year after that, like, you know, I need you on the team. I need you on the judging team. So, and it became my way of being at Olorama because, you know, without that, you know, the judging gave me a hotel room and a bit of travel money to get there. So, yeah, it was awesome. And I loved doing the, the whole three of the pumps. It was great. You, you were on the actual artwork. Yes, yes, I was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There was there 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 was one year that that it the had hands. all the faces of Bolarama and Steve Cav and everybody like that. Yeah, Laz was there. Yeah, Laz was the on center. Yeah, <laughs> in the center. And that that artwork was taken from the one year that I didn't have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunate because you go look. That's me. That doesn't look like a Lord of the Rings character. Uh, <laughs> Should hanging up in my room. Yeah, I I got t-shirt. I got two t-shirts. I I believe still with that artwork. Uh, yeah, I love it. So um, wow, that's it's amazing that you just it, you know, like within skateboarding, you just kind of fall into stuff and it's it's out it's just so weird to me that like as as just a collective everybody's got something that they can contribute to whether it be the industry or like park building or something like that like we spoke about Shane Serena um a little earlier as far as when he was with ARD um and it's like I work for Shane Andreas has worked for Shane like two, three times now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's just that that awesome community that I find, and you know, like just yeah, 
the the synergy is just i'm just stoked on it yeah. all the time um and i i wonder where your stoke level is at the moment man like what what's where are we going is are you bringing device back what's skating, gonna happen what's skating we want to know what's oh yeah yeah yeah. have you skated lately i well i actually have been skating lately um with COVID, I guess um, I had to move out from where I was living and um, pretty much had no money for a while there. And so I was sort of uh, stuck, you know, not having, you know, my, my passion's vert and I just want to ride vert. And so there's no vert ramps around where I'm living at the moment, but um, I'm actually really making the effort to uh, skate and me and Jaffa, have been skating vert quite regularly now for probably the last 12 weeks. And, um, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. Um, you know, after losing all that weight, my body works so much better now and, uh, I'm enjoying my skating again more than ever. Um, it's been awesome. Um, just getting back on the vert and skating as often as I can, at least once a week. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's been great man. I'm loving it. Um, as far as device coming back, that's, that's awesome. Cheers, Andres. Yeah. I'm loving it, mate. And, um, as far as device coming back, I'll never say never, but no plans right now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good to hear that. Yeah. I think that's a skater thing. Never say never. You know, I, I, I said at one stage, look, Andreas is never going to wear like the the worst colored tracksuit to try and record a video on like to, but you know, never say never. And um, so what are you looking forward to in the future flares? Like uh, more skating? You're going to get around like, um, yeah, at the moment, just, I'm um, I'm enjoying my, my spiritual journey, um, getting into meditation and, um, my, my, my food journey of cleaning up my diet. I'm actually, I'm really enjoying that process. And for me, that's one of my main focus right now is, um, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, my spiritual connection and, and working on that as much as possible. And, um, and, and yeah, still skating, you know, I love, you know, the vert, I love skating vert. Um, my, um, my body is more suited to bailing onto my knees than, than jumping down stairs. So I'm quite happy to say that I could probably skate vert for another 20 years. Um, so we'll see how we go. I've been at John Gray's. Johnny Gray's. Johnny Gray got like a freaking vert ramp in his backyard now. You know, like he, he's what? He's close to 60. He's not far off. Johnny Gray, or is he? Did he turn already? Do you know? Sixty. Johnny Gray. I don't know. I don't want to talk about someone's oh. age. I don't. No, like, I don't want to claim that. I don't want to claim somebody sixty if they're like forty-eight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's definitely not forty-eight. It's not. It's, it's that's sorry. Look, sorry, bro. Look, it's not like the you're point, competing in the Masters since you were twelve. The, the like, point. <laughs> the point being, he's got a virgin in his backyard. Being a grandfather, which is awesome. That's the point. Yeah, it's very it's true. Him and Errol just the other day, you know, uh, and it was amazing. Out in Windsor. He's got a word for him in his backyard. I'm just stoked to hear the, the Tom skating and, and really enjoying it. And I think there's, there's, there's something in it, 
when you kind of look inside yourself a little bit, you change little factors of your life. Um, as long as you got that core in skateboarding, it just makes skateboarding better. I think like along, like you've made some life changes recently, which are to the worst, very likely. <laughs> but anyway, look, more about Tom, less about us. Um, mate, thank you so much for being on the show. Such a pleasure. Um, thanks for devoting this time and let's catch up again soon and we'll keep following let's keep following your journey and and like where it leads and you know like maybe put on a contest or something like that tom how about that that'd be cool man yeah how about a vert contest that'd be awesome yeah you, you got to come down for the miranda opening i'll say yeah. like miranda the big the big bowl we're just gonna have yeah there's something gonna go on for that so yeah I, I wish I had some merch to give you. We need to get some merch. I'd like some merch. I'd like some merch too. You want to pay for it? No, Tampa. <laughs> All right, Tom. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, let's catch up really soon.